I have been thinking a lot <coughs> lately about the people in my life, in, in, uh, in my community, that don't share um, my faith, don't share our faith. People that are walking through the world, this world that is very troubled and divided, and don't have real peace and don't have real hope. Now, I can say to you, as, as, as true as that is, as many people as I know and seem to interact with for whom that is true, I still believe that this real peace, this true hope, resides in the church and in its gospel. But less and less are people inclined, I'm talking about people outside of a relationship with God, people who wouldn't necessarily, like you and me, choose to be at church this morning, less and less would they choose to come to the church or look to the church as they once did in previous generations. We live in a world, uh, many of you would, uh, I believe, agree, where truth is relative. Right? People think there's all kinds of truth. It's your own truth. It's personal truth. Where sin, what we would call sin, right, offending God against God's purposes, God's laws, is a, not even a recognized category with many people. Where many people that live around you and live around me do not believe necessarily in an afterlife at all. They believe that all there is to this life is the one that we're living. Right? If we hope to be the church to our generation, right? Which every church is called to do just that, right? We can't be the church of the 1980s or the church of the 1880s. We have to be the church who God has called us to be right now in our time and in our day. But if we're gonna be the church that God has called us to reach our generation, I believe we're gonna need a new way to engage the non-believers in our lives. Or maybe better said, a new old way. And Jesus himself models this, which we're going to look at uh, in this whole series over the next many weeks, modeled this way, this new old way, in an extended conversation that he has with a woman that takes almost a whole chapter in John's gospel. And in this extended conversation that Jesus has with this woman, he shows us, I think, what it looks like right? What it can look like, I think what it should look like for people like you and me, what it looks like to share our faith. And also, I think, he helps us recover the true mission of the church. What is the true mission of the church, right? It's helping people experience a changed life in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Whoever, whatever kind of people they are, young or old, whatever kind of background that they have, whatever politics that they have, it's all about helping people in this world that offers very little true peace, very little true sense of hope to offer them a life change, a true life change in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So over the next five weeks, I want to slow down what we normally do, I guess, on a Sunday morning and look closely at one passage of Scripture uh, for five weeks. And I hope that if we do that, we can learn something about what it means from Jesus, let's call it a master class with Jesus, of what it means to share our faith 
Not just the content, right, the verses of Scripture, but our faith as it's been realized in your life, right? How has the gospel of Jesus Christ, right, come into your life? It's different than my life. And how has the gospel of Jesus Christ come into your life, changed your life uniquely, and how has that become a way in which you share that with people that are far from God, okay? That's what I think is modeled in this famous passage. John chapter 4, you have a copy of the Bible on your lap, in your phone, etc. We're going to read just the first 15 verses of this very long story, John chapter 4, in a series titled Open, Open, I should say, but in in a message titled Open Your Mouth, okay? Follow along as I read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, Jesus and Uh, a Samaritan woman. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, when you read this famous passage, and we're not reading it all this morning, We will over the next uh, five weeks. But I think you are meant to be able to read chapter 4 with chapter 3 in mind. Okay, Now, we're not reading it, but I'll summarize it for you. Many of you know it. There's these two characters. I'm sure under the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, that this was done as a a reason when John writes his gospel. In chapter 3... It's this very famous story, almost similar to this in the sense of it takes up a long part of the chapter. And it's Jesus having a dialogue with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And he has this long dialogue with Nicodemus. And then here comes chapter 4. But when you look at these two chapters, when you read them side by side, the contrast between Jesus, or I should say the person that Jesus is talking to in John chapter 3, right, where we get the famous verse, Jeff mentioned it last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That came out of that very famous conversation that Jesus had with this religious leader. But the contrast between Nicodemus and this woman could hardly be 
greater. He's a Jewish male, highly educated, highly respected. She's a Samaritan female. She doesn't even have a name. She's illiterate, or we assume she's illiterate by the based upon this culture, and she's publicly despised. Okay? Now, the reasons for the judgment against her are both personal, we'll get into that next week, her messy life, but also historical. Let me say something about it. It's important to understand this passage. What are the historical reasons? Right? The divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. She mentions it. Why would you ask me for, to give you a drink? Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Okay? If you know your Old Testament history, the kingdom of Israel, what we call the nation of Israel, it went into a civil war after the death of David and his son Solomon. It's split into two parts. They call it the northern kingdom, which took on the name Israel, and the southern kingdom, which took on the name Judah. And that's how your Old Testament sort of ends. And what happens after this division is the other great nations that were in the ancient Near East went to war, of course, with Israel. And both of those kingdoms, let's call it the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, they both went into exile. First was the northern kingdom, Israel, okay, the ten tribes. And what happened was Assyria came. It's in the 8th century, about 800 years before Jesus. If you're a note taker, 2 Kings chapter 17. But the importance for this message is this. What the Assyrians did was they conquered Israel, the 10 tribes. They took out basically most of the people, all the important people, the government, the royal household, all of the military, everyone that they thought would be any kind of threat. They took them out and they deported them somewhere else. And then they brought back into the nation of Israel other people that they had conquered. You find the names of them in 2 Kings 17. That they had just, a, just other people they had conquered, they had in jail somewhere. And they brought them back who were not Jewish people. And they brought them back into northern Israel. And they lived there for the next many years, all the way until the times of Jesus. Now, after that happens, a few, 150 years after that, the southern kingdom eventually. Okay, around Jerusalem, they were also conquered, not by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians. But the Old Testament shows that although the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, they never came back to Israel. That's it. You never hear from them again. But the southern kingdom, just those two tribes that were carted off to Babylon... They did return. This is what Ezra is about. This is what Nehemiah is about. This is at the end of the Old Testament. They come back in a humbler way. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls. This is what we call restored Judaism. The same Judaism, that's where the word Judaism comes from instead of the Israelite religions around Judah, Judaism. This is the scene that Jesus walks into. But here's what happens. When those people came back, the humbler people around Jerusalem, the end of your Old Testament, they thought these people called Samaritans, they saw them as Gentiles. They were from different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds, right? They were, they were repopulated from the Assyrians. But the Samaritans, that's the name they took on based upon the city, they still saw themselves as Jews, right? Even though they, in many ways, were no longer let's say, part of the Jewish people. Many of them they weren't, didn't even have a Jewish background. Some did, because they left some of the poor people there. 
But there was this great divide because when the Jewish people came back under Ezra and Nehemiah, they came back with this pure understanding. They were trying to restore Judaism, rebuild the temple, and they said, listen, these people aren't Jewish. And the divide was so great, which is what you get in here, that this woman says, listen, the Jews, Orthodox Jews, would work so hard to avoid the, these people that they, when they went from Jerusalem to Galilee, which was another stronghold of the Jewish peoples, it was just south to north, when they, they would avoid completely the area around Samaria. It was central Israel. And they would go east of the Jordan and take a longer route because they didn't want anything to do with these people, which is what this woman represents here. But look what Jesus says, verse 4, so it gives meaning to this verse. Now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. What's the point? It's that statement that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's not a geographical statement, like there was no other way to do it. There was mountains on either side. It was not a geographical statement. It was a personal statement because what he's saying is this. Jesus understood that these were people, he wanted to go to a place that the Jews had avoided to reach a despised group of people that the Jews wanted nothing to do with. He wanted to reach not just this woman, but this group of people and bring them the gospel, right? He had to go through Samaria. And if you and I desire to reach people, here's the point, who are far from God, we're going to need to open our mouths, point of this sermon, and go to places we have not been before. Okay? That's the point of this first point. That's what Jesus does. And Jesus doesn't go through Samaria, <clears throat> excuse me, because he purposely wants to frustrate his disciples. Because see, his disciples wouldn't have chosen this route. You'll find this later in the story. He doesn't do it, he does it because he knew that in this part, this part of Israel was full of people who felt the church had no place for them. Say, that the church had no place for them. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. What in God's name are you even doing here? That's what she's saying. I'm smart enough to know that people from your part of town, the Orthodox Jews, don't come here, sure as heck are not going to ask me for a drink of water, are not going to want my hands to touch a cup that your hands are going to touch, okay? They would be defiled by any kind of association with someone like me. That's what she's talking about. But when I say to, to you, you know, we need to go to places we've not been before. Let me say this. I'm not talking about, you know, only foreign mission trips, which I think we ought to do, okay? Go on short-term mission trips. Or go into our city. Alyssa just mentioned that. We ought to have partnerships. I hope you do that, and I do that. But what I'm talking about, when I say you and I need to go to places we've not been before, is we need to go further with the people that are already in your life. Go a little bit further in talking about what it is that God has done in your life. Go a little bit further than you've already gone with those people that are in your life. I'm talking about the people that are in your a neighborhood or the people that are in your, uh, your, your, your office or the people that are in your gym or the people that are in your country club. Listen, the people maybe, as Jason just said, 
that are at your Thanksgiving table uh, in a week from now. We need to be willing to go farther than we've gone before with sharing people with, because let me say something, guys, that you already know, right? We live in a world that's, com- that's increasingly divided, that's increasingly full of trouble, a-, a world there's no hope and no peace, and people are not flocking to come to places like this because they, I believe they could and should. I believe the message is as strong as it's ever been, but people, it's not their inclination anymore, right? The world has changed. And people don't naturally think that the church of Jesus Christ, that the gospel of Jesus Christ actually has the answers that they need for the deepest needs in their life, right? We have to go to them. They're not going to come to us. I, over the last month or so, my brother, one of my brothers, sold a house. He's in between selling a house and buying a house. He's living with me. Now, we, we have... Uh, um, you know, of course, we, we've uh, spent our whole lives together, and over these many, many years, um, he's not a, a Christian church-going guy, but over these many, many years, I have, we've had a number of conversations about religion and faith, um, but, you know, it's a different thing when you're all of a sudden you're living together. And we were sitting down uh, just recently, and he started a conversation, and I was in the zone doing my thing, and... Uh, you know, doing my best to not engage. He, he kind of had nothing going at the moment, you know. And I was doing my best to avoid the conversation. He just kept asking some questions here and there. And first started talking about politics. And I was trying to avoid it as much as I could. I really was busy doing what I was doing. But then all of a sudden it went from politics to, let's say, the, the greater business of humanity. The business, that, the, the power behind the power that's running the world. That's what he wanted to talk about. And I got more interested. And in a sense, my brother, he, he believes in a supernatural being that's non-human, that runs the world. And in that sense, we share something, right? We both share this belief that there is a power behind humanity, that is, behind the powers that we can see, that runs the world. We got to that place. But his sense is that that power, that deity, is not good, it's not to be trusted, and it's more likely to threaten you than to bless you, right? And I said to him, you know, I mean, it's not like I'd never heard that from him before, but it was in the sense of this extended conversation. And I just, I just said to him, it was kind of like I reached a different place of compassion in my heart, and I said, listen, how hard must it be for you, right, to go into, to enter everyday life in every way that you have to enter everyday life, to thinking that the God behind it all is out to get you. And I said, listen, I live in the same world that you do. Okay? We often talked about what's going on. But let me, say, let me be real honest with you. I have a completely different view. Okay, I have a completely different view. I think that the God that's behind the world that we live in is not an angry God, is not someone who's out to get you. I think he's a God that loves you, that loves me, that is for the world, and that makes such a difference in the way I enter the world every single day. Now, by the time I got to that line, it was almost three in the morning, you know, and I thought, you know, uh, it was time for an altar call, but it was a little bit too late. But here's the point, guys, and this is someone that's close in my life, you know, 
We've got to go places we have not gone before, right? We need to get a little bit more honest and real and deep and share with people, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. That's what Jesus is showing in, in this passage. So number one, we need to go places we've not been before. Second, we need to start with ourselves. Start with yourself, right? Jesus begins, I think he's modeling something for us here. He begins this conversation not by giving advice, right? Sometimes you think, well, that's what Christians do, they give advice. But by confessing a personal need. When a Samaritan woman came, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Before he meets a need in her life, which he'll do before this story's end, a big one, he asks her to meet a need of his. In fact, everything else that follows in this conversation, we just read a third of it, okay? Everything else that follows in this conversation is going to get very deep and very interesting. It's going to go into her very deeply messy personal life. It's going to go into this deep conversation about worship where Jesus says things to her that he doesn't say to anyone. He's never even said to his disciples. And then finally, before this conversation is open, Jesus has this open your chest moment where he says to this woman, what he had never said to anyone else, and he doesn't say to anyone else in all of the Gospels, he confesses openly, I am the Messiah. It's the only time he says it. And he says it to her. But it all begins with one simple question. Will you give me a drink? Here's the point, guys, for you and me. People don't care what you know until they know who you are. Let me say it again. People don't care what you know until they know who you are. And if that's true for Jesus Christ, okay, she needed to get to know who he was, it's going to be true for you and it's going to be true for me. People don't care what you know until they know who you are. You want to see people come to know Jesus Christ, even if it's your brother or your sister or your spouse or your friend or your neighbor or your, your golfing buddy, whoever it is, you need to go a little bit further than you've gone before. And you need to start with yourself. Of course the gospel has content. I hope you know your Bible. Get to know it better. But start talking about what God has done in your life. Because how God has transformed my life is not the same way he's transformed your life. And people don't care what you know in sense of content or knowledge until they know a little bit more about who you are. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul the Apostle will say these important words. Because we loved you so much, he's talking about to this congregation, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. See, Paul was criticized too, Right? As someone who was kind of a, you know, smart guy and, and challenged a lot of the thinkers of his day. But Paul had to open himself up too. He said, listen, we didn't only share the gospel of God with you. We opened up our lives to you as well. Right? Remember when Paul went to give his resume? And he, it, was in, it was in the Corinthian letter. And the Corinthian church was sort of becoming attracted to these sort of celebrity Christians. And Paul said, let me give you my resume. Because they were, they were saying, Paul, you're not a very good speaker and this and that. And he went into this long litany of all the suffering he had for Jesus Christ. He said, let me tell you, my life's been one bet negative turn after another. I've been in jail and, you know, I've been whipped and beaten. I've been, you know, by Jews and Gentiles. This is what it means. This, this is my resume. Let me tell you how God has, um, who God has, has been with me through it all, 
right? This is what it means. People don't care what you know until they know who you are. Do the people in your life really know how Jesus Christ has changed your life? Have you told them? Or have you just maybe, like I have, invited them to church on Easter and Christmas? Not a bad thing. But they need something more than that. Finally, in verse 9, Jesus' question results in this woman asking a question. This is the point. It's a conversation. The Samaritan woman says, hey, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, right? Jesus started with a question. How can you ask me for a drink? She says, let me, let me, paint out, let me, let me point out the obvious. People like you typically don't even have conversations with people like me. In verse 10, Jesus takes things a little bit further and says essentially, okay, in verse 10, we just read it, if you really knew who I was, the implication is you don't really know who I am. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that said unto you, give me a drink, she, he said in so many words, you'd ask me for the moon, not just for a little help to get through the day, okay? If you really knew who I was. You'd ask me for a lot more. And in this unfolding revelation, which is what this whole story is about, we've just looked at a few verses. The verb, I circled it in my text, give, is used seven times in just the verses that we read. Let me just highlight a few of them. Will you give me a drink? Jesus starts with that, and then he says this. If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Where can I get this living water? Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give will become in them a spring of living water. The woman finally says, this is beautiful um, uh, cascade, give me this water. Okay, listen, this is the way you and I are supposed to talk with people as well. Are people, here's the question, I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus, but is this how people are hearing the gospel when I talk to them, right? My theology needs to be right, number one. Jeff talked about this last week. What is the basic theology behind the gospel? For God so loved the world, he gave, right? That's it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gift. Jesus Christ accomplished salvation, for the worst kinds of sinners, all of us included, it's a free gift that you simply need to humbly receive, okay? That's the theology of it. But then the question is, is this grace interlaced in my story, in my testimony, when I'm in conversation, right? Do people hear when I'm talking to them? If It's almost like I'm saying what Jesus said. You know, if you knew me, I don't mean to me like I'm, I'm Jesus-like, but if you really knew me, if you really understood that I'm a sinner just like you are, oh my goodness. But if you knew me and you knew the gift of God and what it's done in my life, I think you'd want this too, right? People don't care what you know until they know who you are and what it is that God has done in your life. Are you engaging people? Here's the question of this series in a, minute, in a kind of way. With the good news of the gospel in the context of your life, or are you largely arm's length to these kinds of conversations and relationships? If you are, if I am, okay, 
Look no further for why the joy of the Lord has leaked out of your life. Because this is what it's all about. The joy of the Lord is you and me. You know, it's like the blind man in John 9. I don't know who that guy was. I can tell you one thing. I was blind and now I see. Right? I was blind and now I see. This is what people are looking for. Real hope, real peace. It starts with how they see it in your life. We need to go to places we've not been before. You need to start with yourself. Do you even know your story? Okay. Do you even know your story? How did you come to know Christ? What's the, what's the unique way that God's grace has come and touched your life? It's different than me. It's different than the person sitting next to you. Start with yourself. And lastly, then talk about what's most important. That's what Jesus does here. Talk about what's most It amazes me. I'm sure it does you too. How many of us talk about things, spend hours of our day talking about things that make absolutely no difference in the long run? A year or three from now, no one will even care. And we spend hours talking about these things. And you may have conversations with this friend, this, this relative, this old buddy, this golfing buddy, spend three hours on a golf course with him. You never know. You may never see him again. And we talk about the most pointless things, especially when if it's true for you and me. We have a kind of hope and power. We have an answer or some answers about the most important things in life. That's what Jesus does here. After his first response, this woman asks two more questions now. Sir, where can I get this living water? Right? She's starting to get, she's starting to get interested in you. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And then Jesus decides to change the subject to something deeper, right? This is why Jesus came and why he sent us to talk to people about spiritual thirst. Everyone who drinks this water, okay, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Talking about something different. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. The language of intersatisfaction and forgiveness, transformation, calls to mind a string of prophecies in the Old Testament. What Jesus is getting at? Let me just read one of them to you. This is what Jesus is getting at right here. He, has this, he does the same thing in the conversation in John 3. The language of intersatisfaction, of the forgiveness of sin, of personal transformation, okay? It calls to mind a string of prophecies from the Old Testament. Just listen to this one carefully. This is what Jesus is talking about. Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle, sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. This is the promise of the new covenant. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is what this woman needed. This is what I needed. This is what all people need, right? And there is no other place to find it. But we need to go to places we haven't been before. We need to start with ourselves and we need to start talking about things with the people in our lives the things that are most important. And stop being fooled 
by people's um, outward success. Okay? I don't know if some of you saw Oprah's conversation this past week with the singer Adele. Okay? Most of you probably know Adele, whether you like her or not. A mega star. And it was a conversation because she was putting out her, I guess, her newest album. Okay? And she sat down with her and had a conversation with her. And it was very interesting. I, I like her music. I don't know much of anything about her life. But I watched it and I learned a lot. And she talked about her struggle with alcohol. I think she's overcome it. She talked about her recent divorce. All this, I guess, is part of her new album. She talked about a broken relationship she had with her father who died recently. And then Oprah said something. She's talking about all these things that have happened since her last album. And she said, you know, six years ago when you put out your third album, I think it was called 25. I think that means, I think they're based on her age. And she said the title track of that song, or that album, excuse me, called Hello. Some of you ever heard the song Hello? Okay. Um, Oprah said, since that time, it's received three, wait for it, billion views on YouTube. Three billion views. Think about it. How many people are in the world? Seven or so, right? And Oprah was kind of saying, like, and in so many words, Oprah was saying, listen, um, how do you top that? Like, you know, how are you at 26 years old have that kind of success? You know, it's like amazing. And she said, you know, Oprah, it's funny. She said, about that time, I'm trying to tell her something about her life. She said, I was sitting around with some of my girlfriends and around 2016. And she said, you know, you can see this kind of in your mind. They, they, were, they were sitting around this bunch of girls just sitting around. And she said, they were reading over a, a, um, a, uh, a survey in a magazine. And the question in the survey of the magazine said, what is something that no one else would ever know about you? Right? Like a survey in a magazine. What was something that no one would ever guess is true about you? And she said when it, when it came around to her in that little thing with her girlfriends, she said the answer for her was that I'm not really happy. I'm just living. I'm just plodding along. A woman who had just released her third album that went, you know, platinum overnight. Right? Point is this. Beneath the surface of the lives of the people around us, whatever level of material success they may have is a spiritual thirst that only Jesus Christ can fill. That's the point. But we got to start opening our mouth. we got to start going to places we haven't been before, and we need to start with ourselves and talk about things that are really important. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. We love you. We thank you. Pray that you would be with us as we head into this week. Give us grateful hearts and open hearts and minds to be your servants. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, before, I head, before you head out this morning, just a very quick announcement, no closing video. I mentioned this, I think, last week or two, but today... In the main uh, cafe, or in the cafe, John and Laura Imayo, who we introduced a time or two in writing and here from this platform, 
is our candidate. John is, but John and Laura are out there together, probably their kids. John is our candidate for our discipleship pastor. So it's just an opportunity. Some of you already know him well because he's a part of our church. Some of you don't. Go say hello. Uh, get to meet him. But let me just take a, you know, a minute because some people said to me, Rob, what is a discipleship pastor? What is this particular role? This will be up on our website in advance of the meeting on December the 5th. But what it really is is this. We're looking for a senior level leader, which we believe John is, to work aside with me and our executive team to take two very important parts of our church, our adult discipleship. I'm talking about small groups and and life stage groups and and marriage and men and women. Take our discipleship, uh, adult discipleship and missions, not only our our missionary portfolio, but our local missions, and bring these things together in sort of a mobilization ministry to help educate, train, and engage people, adults in particular, into um, greater discipleship and following Jesus. John is going to sit along with our senior leaders, myself included, of course, and help us do that better. Okay, that's the purpose. So people, so adult ministries, missions will report into John, and we'll be doing is we're trying to work as best we can to help educate better, disciple better, and mobilize better our congregation in being disciples of Jesus. Amen? Okay. Have a great Sunday and have a great Thanksgiving.